0: We come this morning to our sermon passage um, from Matthew chapter 21. We'll be looking at, it's Palm Sunday after all, we'll be looking at the time when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, the capital city, and was heralded as a great king. So we'll be looking at Matthew 21 verses 1 through 15. It's printed for you in your bulletin, or if you have a phone or your Bible, we'll uh, turn there. Matthew 21, 1 through 15, this is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the down Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place that fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of the donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. And he drove all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, He said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it the den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David They were indignant Father I thank you for your word I thank you that in it we have this uh, This account Of this happening From 2,000 years ago But not just a historical account Or a story of something happening But we have it uh, inspired and written By the prompting of your spirit For us To not just hear about it But to enter into it in a sense to see you, King Jesus, clearly. So I pray this morning as we see you, what kind of king you are for us, that you move upon us, Lord, to love you more and make us more more you. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you ever travel down to Disney World in Florida, and if you want to go to Disney World from here, it's two turns. You jump on 95. When you get to Dates on the Beach, you jump on Interstate 4, the Interstate 4 cuts across Central Florida. Um, and so if you're ever driving down to Disney World, you'll get to Dates on the Beach and you'll turn on Interstate 4, and all of a sudden, there is almost nothing but billboards for Disney World. It's Mickey Mouse. It's all the new attractions, the new rides, the new stuff going on. And as you're driving in and you get closer and closer to Orlando, where Disney World is, the excitement Because they are selling you this idea. This is the happiest place on earth. You are going to the happiest place on earth. And it is great. It's very exciting. And I love Disney. It's it's, this palpable excitement as you drive. But did you know, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, did you know that Interstate 4, that stretch between Daytona Beach and Disney World, leading to the happiest place on earth, is the deadliest interstate in the entire country? It is. The road to the Magic Kingdom the road to the happiest place on earth is the deadliest stretch of the interstate in the entire country. For many people, that happy road to the magic kingdom has become a road of sorrow, a road of suffering and loss. I mention that because in our passage this morning we see Jesus taking a very specific road into an incredible celebration. Look how excited the people are. Jesus gets there and they can't control themselves. They're throwing their cloaks on the ground in front of them. Which you can stop and think, like, don't do that. The road's dirty. Don't throw your coat down. He's fine. He's on a horse. They're literally ripping palm branches off of trees to throw in his path. They're just very excited. This is an incredible road to celebration that Jesus is on. But there's something else going on under the surface here. A lot like Interstate 4. Because we know where all this goes next. If we keep reading in the Gospel of Matthew, we see... That Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and here he's cheered on. But just a few days later, just a few days later, this same exact crowd is calling for the government to arrest him and execute him. We know that this triumphant entry here in Matthew twenty-one is really the route that leads to his crucifixion. So, I want to pause here this morning. I want to reflect on this reality i want to look at the specifics and the details of what's going on as jesus is entering jerusalem here and i want to see what it shows us about who our king is who king jesus is marvel at his teaching. so let's look at a few interesting things in this passage the first thing we're told you notice it tells us a lot of details about how he's coming in it tells us where they are the direction they're approaching the city um, they're coming from Bethpage And Mount of Olives Now this is on the east side of Jerusalem And as they're entering into The city in this way Jesus stops And he gives his disciples specific instructions He wants them to go find the right car For him to drive into the city In our modern terms You're going to stop at her car And you are going to get me The car I want Jesus says Now all of these uh, Details are very purposeful This isn't Jesus uh, by accident Stumbling into riding on a donkey Or by accident stumbling into riding Through this specific gate On the east side of the city All of this is very much on purpose It's all calling back to images in the Old Testament All calling back to Things that have happened in the history of God's people For instance let's take the donkey What is a donkey? Arriving on a donkey In the ancient world It is an act of peace this is not Jesus asking you to get the biggest clodsdale, the biggest steed he could possibly find, or the most impressive gold enameled chariot for him to ride and wave to the crowds. Jesus is being very specific. He wants a donkey, not a warrior, a warhorse. And it's a donkey, not just any donkey. It's a mama donkey with a baby. This is the least threatening way <laughs> to go into a city. You've got a mama that's taking care of this little foal, and that's what Jesus decides to ride in arriving in the town. Not in armor with a sword in hand. He's arriving on the back of a donkey and her baby. Now this points back to a significant thing in the Old Testament. If you flip back and you go to 1 Kings, if you want drama and intrigue and political maneuvering, 1 Kings and 2 Kings is the book for you, by the way. It's not easy to read. It feels more like Game of Thrones than than anything else. Um, But you can read it in 1 Kings. It's go for drama and intrigue and at the end of King David's life. King David, who had received this promise from God that God was going to bless his line, King David, one day you will have a descendant who will be king over my people, and not a king like any other. He will reign in truth and righteousness. He will make justice happen for the poor, David. And I will bring this about. I will establish his kingdom. That's the promise God had made to David. That one day you will have a son who will be a fundamentally different kind of king. Now, it didn't happen right away, and so there's questions. David's at the end of his life, well, which son is going to become king next? David had a number of different sons. His son Solomon, who was not the oldest, had been identified as the heir. Not just the heir to a throne in a political sense, but the heir to the promises made to David. And as I said, it, these were incredible promises. It wasn't just the establishing of a physical kingdom. It wasn't God saying, David, I think you're great, and I just want your family to be awesome always, and you get all the good stuff and everybody else. Now the idea here was God was continuing to work out his purposes that he had declared all the way back to Genesis 3 to Adam and Eve. That he was going to destroy the power of sin. He was going to destroy the work of Satan. He was going to bring his grace to work in this world. So again. This is what's going on. It's the handing down of this incredible promise and this expectation of God acting for salvation. So it's near the end of David's life. And one of his sons, not Solomon, a guy named Adonijah tries to maneuver and steal the throne. David's literally on his deathbed. And so Adonijah performs the secret coalition of the religious and the military leaders to have himself crowned king. And he, he sets up this big elaborate ceremony and so imagine all these government officials they've got adonijah and they bring him out and he's in a chair and he's got great horses and he had an armed guard of 50 men that surrounded him adonijah was like i'm gonna make a big splash i'm gonna come into town everybody's gonna see me and say that's the king that's our king and he was doing this in a time of peace it wasn't even a time of war so he's got this 50-man armed guard around him he's in a chair with impressive horses he's gonna wow everybody So, when David finds out about this, he tells his son Solomon, who's the heir, to do something dramatic. Not to raise up an army, not to get 51 armed men to outrank Adonijah and his 50. He tells Solomon to go take David's own donkey. David's, uh, the thing David rode around in his time of peace. Go get my donkey, Solomon. And ride in this, into the city in this very specific route where everybody will see you. You're not going to have swords. You're not going to have an armed guard. You're going to ride into the city on the back of this donkey. And you're going to be crowned king before Adonijah can arrive with this impressive display. And so, the full view of everybody Solomon does. He rides into the city on the back of this donkey, and he is crowned the rightful king. So in Matthew 21, I mention all of this because this is the exact route that Jesus takes. When he's on the back of this donkey coming into Jerusalem is the exact route that Solomon took on the back of David's donkey When he was coming in to make sure that as Solomon, the rightful heir, was crowned and not the false king of Adonijah. And the people recognize this. That's why they respond the way they do. The crowd flips out. Like I said, they begin ripping branches off the trees to throw them in his pathway. Now Jesus is already known as a great prophet, a great teacher, a great healer. And so, like I said, they're throwing the branches down. Think of it kind of like a, a, at a wedding. The bride's arriving and he throws flower petals in her, in her pathway in some ways. It's kind of like that. It's just this excitement. We've got to throw something in the way for them to walk on. And then they cry out, what? Hosanna!" which roughly means praise because of salvation. This is the biggest woo-hoo they could possibly give. Our king is here. A scene of celebration. So, Jesus arrives in the big woo-hoo, right? And where does he go first? King arrives to the city. Where does he go first? The first place he goes is straight to the temple, and he cleanses it of the money changers. He cleanses it of the people who had set themselves up in the temple courts, to make money off of the back of foreigners, especially in the poor. Because what they had done, they had set up a market, literally, in the temple. And what they would do is, when you were traveling in, you had to use a special type of currency at the temple. You had to use their tokens. And if you were traveling from far away and you wanted to offer a sacrifice, you weren't going to travel hundreds of miles with a sheep, right? You were going to have to buy one when you got there. And so they just charged these Jacked by through the roof They were making money They had a nice little corner on the market there in Jerusalem. So the first thing that Jesus does His priority is king of God's people is he goes to the temple And he runs these money changers Off because they are taking advantage Of his people They are taking advantage Especially of the poor And notice what happens next Jesus cleanses the temple in verse 14 Who shows up to see him at the temple The blind The lame. That's pointed out because where Jesus had run the money changers off, where they had set up shop, was the place in the temple where the blind and the lame could come. It was where the blind and the lame and the people that were kind of on the fringes of society could come into God's house to meet with Him, to worship Him. They've been driven away. And so when Jesus drives the money changers out, the first people who come to Him, Are the blind and the lame. Because now they are welcome. And they come and they find healing. And notice the response to this verse 15. Our last verse. What is the response to this? When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did. When they saw the children shouting in the temple courts. Hosanna the son of David. They were indignant. They were furious. chief priests and the teachers of the law. See, all of this wonderful stuff, and they are furious. Now, where this all leads next is a whirlwind few days. It's the pathway of Jesus the king. It doesn't lead to a palace. It doesn't lead to him being crowned with a golden crown. It leads to a crown of thorns because he winds up being not the kind of king the people want. Now, they had an idea of what they thought Jesus should do as king, who he should accept and welcome in, who he should reject and turn away. The kinds of things that they thought were their biggest problems and how he should fix them. And when Jesus arrived and had a different agenda, when Jesus arrived and fundamentally told them, your problems are much deeper seated than you realize. They didn't want anymore. And it leads to the crowd rejecting him. Not just by the leaders afraid of losing their power, but the very crowd that cries out, Hosanna here, cries out, crucify him. Five days. The excitement of this Palm Sunday here turns to disappointment. The political leaders and religious leaders they combined to the plot against Jesus because they wanted a king who wouldn't inconvenience them. They wanted a king that would just to affirm the things they already wanted to do. Anymore. And the excitement of this Sunday becomes the betrayal and the arrest of Thursday. It becomes the crucifixion of Friday. Now, this is shocking. Five days. It's shocking. It's shocking to me. It was probably a shock to the crowd. Can you imagine what it felt like to say Hosanna and five days later say crucify him? The same <laughs> mouth saying that. That was probably shocking. It was shocking to the disciples who, as soon as Jesus faced the rest in opposition, they fled in fear. But you know who it wasn't shocking to? It wasn't shocking to Jesus. Not at all. This is the marvel of all marvels. Jesus knew exactly where this road was taking him. He was under no delusion. He had already told his disciples, and they refused to believe him. He knew the kind of king that he wanted to be for his people, not the kind of king that would walk in and take the throne and then rule over as a tyrant. That he was going to be the kind of king that we needed in him going to face something bigger, much more painful than we could imagine. Not just physical death and crucifixion, that tends to be what we focus on, and obviously it's a, a, a painful physical experience. But notice in Hebrews 12, what, is it, what does it talk about? It doesn't say, uh, it? for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, not scorning its, its, its physical pain, it says scorning its shame. Because the crucifixion he faced wasn't just super painful. If it needed to be super painful, there could have been other ways. It was um, degraded. He was incredibly ashamed. He was stripped before everybody. He faced accusations. He was he faced abandonment. He was mocked. He was shamed. He was spit upon. He was condemned. He was slapped. He was killed. And he knew all of this. And he knew he was going to experience the absolute hell of God's judgment against sin. Jesus knew where this road was taking him and he took it all the same. Why? Because it is because of you and because of me. Because of his profound love for us. That's what the joy set before him was. Knowing that this pathway and the shame and the pain that it was going to be was going to be the pathway of removing every obstacle that stood in the way between you and I experiencing the profound love of God for us. And Jesus knew if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes to ensure that Tim is received home and rescued and saved, then that's what I'm going to do because of my profound love for him. Jesus offered Himself willingly of as King, not the kind of King that Adonijah wanted to be in First Kings, decked out in physical power and impressive strength. The kind of King that gives everything he has to the good of his people. What great love Jesus has for us. Guys, we're no better than the crowd that day. Really. If we're honest, we so often just want a king or a leader that will confirm all the stuff we like and won't inconvenience us. We want a distant king who will hate all the people we hate <laughs> and stay out of our business. But here's King Jesus. With a grace that will run not just to the parts that we want him to change for us, but a grace that will run to the very deepest and most difficult and painful parts of our own hearts to bring us to life. A grace that will not leave us in the mess that we make or the mess that's been made for us by others, but Jesus who will join us in this mess to lift, lift us up to him. Here is Jesus, not just crucified on a Friday, but as we celebrate next Sunday, victorious over all the stands between him and his love for us, even death who defeats all of his in our rooms, a king that can expose the false powers of this world and the false idols who chase after for identity and give us a hope that can last. And so we can truly say this morning, "Who is the Son of David, blessed is he Jesus who comes in the name of the Lord for us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now marveling at our kingdom. Marveling that in a world full of kings that want to be like Adonijah, splashy may big displays win our hearts' affections that rather you come, you come facing every obstacle. You come to the very depths and despair of human experience and the false judgments of this world and you take it all on your shoulders so that it can be removed from ours. I pray that you would cause us this morning Right now in this moment to marvel At this profound love To teach us not to chase after lesser loves That you would cause us this week As we reflect on the events Of the last week of your life here Before your crucifixion That you would allow us God Insight into ourselves And insight to you And your ongoing Still act Still purposeful love for us. We pray this Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen.